So we are continuing the series. In fact, we are here in the last couple weeks of Isaiah. So we have uh, been studying the book of Isaiah and, and seeing uh, this, the, the wide spectrum that is covered in this book. And, and we are in week six today, so we are going to, uh, like I said, work through uh, some of these later chapters in Isaiah. And then next week, uh, we're going to take a break from it for Celebration Sunday. Like I said, we have so much to celebrate. I'm, we're not, I'm not preaching next week, but like I said, definitely be here. And then we will wrap up Isaiah the week after that with just a summary of everything and uh, as we wrap it up. Um, and then we will be jumping into our summer series. And through the summer uh, after that, we will be studying the Sermon on the Mount. And so we're going to be uh, jumping into that then uh, in the following weeks. And so uh, if you're curious, if you want to read ahead, like I said, you've got a few more weeks uh, to do that with our Celebration Sunday, finishing Isaiah. But then we'll be, like I said, starting that series uh, a t- series will be titled Blessed as we study the Beatitudes. And so if you want to read ahead, it's Matthew's five, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 is the Sermon on the Mount. And so we're going to be covering all of that uh, throughout the summer. And so, uh, again, it will be a great uh, study and great series as we jump into that. So like I said, this morning we are continuing our study of Isaiah. And, and we, we've seen throughout this series that that we have been studying, again, the, the writings, the visions that Isaiah, son of Amaz, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. And he saw these visions during the years when Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah were kings of Judah. Again, as we learn from these, this intro verse, right, that, that is the, the visions of Isaiah, and that's what we read throughout the book. And, and Isaiah was a prophet. His job was to, was to hear these messages through visions or or uh, you know, messages from God, and then to pass them on to the audience they were intended for. And, and we see here, it tells us, the audience was Judah and Jerusalem, the whole nation of Israel. This was the time of their history where they were a divided kingdom. Right? And that's why, again, they're, they're, they're named separately, but yet they were still one nation you know, that God um, had chosen right, to, to lead and to be their king. And, and again, at that time, again, they needed prophets because they did not have the Holy Spirit in the heart of every believer. And so, Again, the prophet was the connection between God's presence and his people. And, and, but that is also why we don't have prophets today, is because now in the new covenant, the covenant of grace, it was ushered in by the Messiah, right, is the Holy Spirit was poured out, and it was in the heart of every believer, so we can, again, hear straight from God through the Holy Spirit now. And so we don't need prophets, right? But in this time, again, um, in the Old Testament period, this time, again, Isaiah was a, a, a major voice for God. At this time, he, he presented lots of different things and, and talked with the kings and with the government leaders and, and with the, the community leaders and, and all the different villages and towns. And, and Isaiah, again, was a very active prophet for about 40 years, and, which was a long span for these prophets. But, but yet, as we've studied and we've read through the book, we, we have seen how Isaiah is a complex weave of stories and judgments and victories and future prediction. Um, it, it, and how it uses a lot of different literary forms from poetry to narrative to historical record. And as we um, looked you know, through the first section of the book, we spent the first several weeks there. Then uh, last week, we started into the second section of the book, which is chapters 40 through 55, and which covers uh, the time when Israel has been exiled, and they have been conquered by the surrounding nations. They have been judged by God, and, and they've been exiled. Again, Judah has been conquered by the Assyrians, and, and Israel was conquered by the Babylonians, and, and they have been exiled into these places and, and dispersed and, and conquered. 
And so we see again that this, this section of Isaiah covers these times where they were, they were full of struggle, right? They were full of all kinds of questions and doubts from these people about, well, God, what are you doing? Because this does not make sense. And yet we see, just as we already saw in the first section and throughout all of Isaiah, is that it is sprinkled with hope. It is sprinkled with vision for what is coming next and, and that God has not given up on them. Uh, and, and we saw last week as we looked at this, this first section, this intro of the second section of the book in verses 1 through 11, how, how this serves as, as the intro to this whole second section. And, and yet it has the tone of a loving parent sitting down with their child after discipline has been carried out. They've, they've had their consequences and now this is the, the conversation of, now this is what needs to happen next. Okay, this is where, where you, we can move in a new direction. We can kind of rekindle this after we've had to go through discipline and consequences. And, and yet we also want to never go back to this place again. And this is, again, the tone of a loving parent and saying, so here are the steps you need to take to make sure we don't ever have to go through that again because that was hard on all of us. And, and we saw last week that in this opening section that there are, there are three things that are presented right, to the nation of Israel to, to stay connected, moving in the right direction with God and to not end up in this place of judgment again. And the first one was to make room for God or move, make room in your life for God. Again, we, we looked at this one last week right, and dive, dove deeper into the, the sections that address this. And, and we also looked last week at the second step of of to trust what God says. And we dove, like I said, we dove deep into these ones last week. And now this week, we are going to continue on in this study as we move to the next kind of section uh, as, we, as it addresses the third step, and that is to know that God is sufficient. I said this week, we're, we're diving into this last one, into the, the, the deeper look into what that means and what does that look like in our daily lives. And so to do that, we are going to open to Isaiah chapter 44, verses 6 through 20. So if you have your Bible with you, I invite you to open with me to Isaiah 44. If you're with us in person and don't have your own Bible or Bibles provided for you in the seats, you're welcome to use, and you'll notice the page numbers there of where you can find it in those Bibles. And if you're with us online, uh, hopefully you can uh, grab your Bible as well. Um, but if you don't have it, you can just listen as I read it, but we're going to uh, read verses 6 through 20. So, so this is what the Lord says, Israel's king and redeemer, the Lord of heaven's armies. I am the first and the last. There is no other God. Who is like me? Let him step forward and prove to you his power. Let him do as I have done since ancient times when I established a people and explained its future. Do not tremble. Do not be afraid. Did I not proclaim my purposes for you long ago? You are my witnesses. Is there any other God? No, there is no other rock, not one. How foolish are those who manufacture idols. These prized objects are really worthless. The people who worship idols don't know this, so they are all put to shame. Who but a fool would make his own God, an idol that cannot help him one bit? All who worship idols will be disgraced along with all these craftsmen, mere humans who claim they can make a God. They may all stand together, but they will stand in terror and shame. The blacksmith stands at his forge to make a sharp tool. He pound, pounding and shaping it with all of his might. His work makes him hungry and weak. It makes him thirsty and faint. 
And then the woodcarver measures a block of wood and draws a pattern on it. He works with the chisel and plane and carves it into a human figure. He gives it human beauty and puts, puts it in a little shrine. He cuts down cedars. He selects the cypress and the oak, and he plants the pine in the forest to be nourished by the rain. And then he uses part of the wood to make a fire. With it, he warms himself and bakes his bread. Then, yes, it's true, he takes the rest of it and makes himself a god to worship. He makes an idol and bows down in front of it. He burns part of the tree to roast his meat and to keep himself warm. And he says, ah, that fire feels good. And then he takes what's left and makes his god a carved idol. He falls down in front of it, worshiping and praying to it. Rescue me, he says, you are my god. Such stupidity and ignorance. Their eyes are closed and they cannot see. Their minds are shut and they cannot think. The person who made the idol never stops to reflect why it's just a block of wood. I burned half of it for heat and used it to bake my bread and roast my meat. How can the rest of it be a god? Should I bow down to worship a piece of wood? The poor deluded fool feeds on ashes. He trusts something that can't help him at all. Yet he cannot bring himself to ask, is this idol that I'm holding in my hand a lie? As we read these verses and, and, and think about this question, right, that, that is this step that is presented within Again, Isaiah, uh, to make sure that we never get back to this place with God, right, where we are, are finding ourselves in judgment and, and set apart and, and through discipline. And, and yet, um, these verses, again, speaks to this question of, of how do I know that God is sufficient? Because it, it, the reality is in those times of struggle and things when things don't make sense or we're not sure, you know, what's going on, it's, this is one of the lies that the enemy feeds us. Uh, is that, oh, God's not really God. He's not that powerful. He, he doesn't care for you. I mean, we have all these lies that get thrust at us. And yet here uh, we see in these verses, as, as Isaiah addresses kind of this, the, this, the culture and society that they're surrounded by, and, and I think especially when they're in Babylon and Assyria, there are idols and gods all over the place. Right? These were very pagan nations. Right, and they, uh, again, especially in Babylon, as we know, they, they, had, they prided themselves in their philosophy and their, their you know, deep ideas of life and, and, and all of these things. And, and yet, Isaiah is sitting back and saying, don't buy it. Remember the one true God. He is sufficient. In fact, as we look at this explanation, we start with the very first verse in verse 6 that we read where it says, I am the first and the last. There is no other God. I mean, that's ultimately the whole answer, isn't it? Right? Is God sufficient? Well, yes, because there's no other God. He is the first and the last. And yet, as we see throughout these verses that we read, that, that there, there are some, some extra things right, that Isaiah throws on top to, to back up this claim. Right, but honestly, that's the whole answer, right, is in verse 6. But yeah, there's a few other things that he points out here. The, the first thing that we should do to, to know that God is sufficient is, is to remember how God has worked in the past. Can we sit back and think about our lives, think about what, what God has done, how he's shown up, the way that he's shown his hand, right, the, the way that we have seen his presence, and, and how has God worked in the past? In, even in your own life. We see this is addressed in, in verse 7, where it says, Who is like me? 
Let him step forward and prove to you his power. Let him do as I have done since ancient times when I established a people and explained its future. Again, God is is reminding Israel, remember everything I have done for you in the past. I am the same God, right? I'm the first and the last. I'm the Alpha and Omega, just as he established in six. He's like, and and, and all of that power, all of the miracles, all of the, 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 the steps I set in front of you from the exile, right? And, and parting the Red Sea and providing for you in the desert and, and conquering the promised land through Joshua and, and bringing, you know, your earthly king and David, and all of these things, like, like, I've done all of that for you. Don't forget that. Remember your history, right? And, and look where I have come through in the past. And as, again, we can look at the, the Old Testament story, the story of Israel, and know that God had come through for them many times in many miraculous ways, and, and yet we also should be able to look back in our own lives. And recognize when God showed his hand. When has God shown up? When has he, when has he carried me through rough times? When, when has he brought victory when it was impossible? I mean, when, when have I seen and experienced God in the past? If I look at my own life and my own journey and I can reflect on what God has done, As a, as a part of our just vision and strategy within our church is, again, we have what we call journey stories and just people sharing their testimonies about how God has worked in the past. As I shared, we're going to hear a couple journey stories next week from different people in our church and about the way that God has worked and, and that he's continuing to work. And, and yet we need to remember that. And yet one of the things as we kind of bring up about, hey, have, have you made a journey story? Have you kind of talked about that? Because again, to do that, one of the reasons we want you to do that is because it forces you to reflect on your life and to see where God has shown up. And, and yet one of the things that I, I hear from that is like, oh, nobody, nobody needs to hear my story. My story is boring. And I will tell you that is absolutely not true. Hey, there is no such thing as a boring testimony Right? Because if God has saved you, then his power has been unleashed in your life, and that is never boring. Every story has value. Right? And God has shown up in your life. Again, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you have received him as your Savior, right, then it is an incredible, powerful testimony. Right? Yes, God, there's no such thing as a boring testimony because if God is involved, it's not boring. And so we need to remember how God has worked in the past. And we also, though, need to remember that God is still working for your future. Even in the midst of struggle, even in the midst of, of exile, God is, is telling that his people through his prophets is saying just, no, like I'm, I'm continuing to work. The next season will be better, right? If, if you come back to me and, and walk and, and trust, right? And, and know that I'm sufficient, that, that the future is always brighter because we will be closer to our God. We'll be more like him, right? We'll move forward in our faith journey. And that God is still working for your future. Especially if, if you have never received him as your savior, to say that, 
that God is, is working in your life right now to, to make your future better, right? To, to, to save you. And that is ultimately the will of God, is to save all of us. Again, the, the reality is, if you are still breathing, then you have more journeying to do. If you are still breathing, your journey's not over. Uh, and that God still has a plan for you. And as we read last week, right, there is a plan, a future, and a hope. Right? God has a plan and a purpose for you, so then we need to fulfill it. We need to live into that plan. We need to keep pursuing our faith and, and being more like Christ tomorrow than I am today and, and being open to what he needs me to do in my life and to accomplish with the days that he gives me. And we need to fulfill it in, without fear, holding us back. In fact, that's exactly what Isaiah says in, in verse 8 that we had read. He says, do not tremble. Do not be afraid. Did I not proclaim my purposes for you long ago? You are my witnesses. Is there any other God? No, there is no other rock, not one. And God has proclaimed his promises. I mean, he's shown us right, what he wants for us, his will for us. And, and it starts with us being saved, right? When we receive Jesus as our personal savior. And then we start this new journey and move forward and to, again, to fulfill all that God needs us to do as, as we are in this deep loving relationship with our God. We talked about the Sermon on the Mount that we're going to be studying this summer. As, as I mentioned that, that, literally in that sermon, Jesus uses an analogy of building your house on the rock, not on the sand. Again, this is one other place, right, that, again, that Jesus references Isaiah. In fact, he, he quotes Isaiah a lot in, his, in the Gospels. As Jesus tells us to build our house on the rock, not on the seeking sand, and because the reality is when you know that something is solid, then you can be excited about the future. You don't have to be fearful about what might happen, right? Is, is the ground going to sink under it? Is the house going to crack and, and fall down? You don't have to be worried about it because you know it's on rock. Right? And you can know that the, your past is in the past and now I'm building something better for the future. And that is the solid rock of God. And, and we don't have to be worried about what might happen, but yet be excited about who God is and about what he is doing. You know, we also need to remember that even this concept that's presented here in Isaiah that, that Jesus reiterates in the Sermon on the Mount, that, that if you do build your life on something other than the rock, that it won't be solid, that it will be sinking sand. If we build our lives on anything other than God, we have something to fear. So is your life built on God? Is your future being built on the rock? Does it bring excitement and joy and hope in your life knowing that you can move forward on a solid foundation? And yet, as we even look at this concept, it brings us to the next step that is presented here in these verses. To make sure and remember that God is sufficient, we, we also need to remember that this world is full of lies and deception. 
Right? This world is full of lies and deception because just as we said, right, even and I, if we don't build our lives on the rock, then we're building it on sinking sand. And again, sinking sand is all smoke and mirrors. Right? And again, God is telling Israel, and, and again, Jesus reiterated and telling us, like, don't build your life on that. Right? Focus it on something solid, on, on the rock, because the reality is the, what the world is feeding you is a lie. It's full of deception. Again, in the passage we already read, right, verse 20 tells us that the poor, deluded fool feeds on ashes. He trusts something that can't help him at all. Yet he cannot bring himself to ask, is this idol that I'm holding in my hand a lie? Now, this, this is a very powerful verse. Right? Is can we look at the things in our lives, right? Things that I'm putting hope in. Right? And we need to ask that question. Is what I'm basing my life on, could it be a lie? Right? Help me to see the, the, the truth about what this world is telling me to do, right, and about what I'm basing my life on, and, and can we even ask the question, and I will say, I'll tell you is that, you know, again, if we look at this idea and this concept and the, the realizing that, that questions and doubts, even about God, are not a step backwards in your faith. They are a step forward in your faith, because God is truth, right? God is real, and that, that which also means that he has nothing to hide, which means he's not afraid of your questions, He's not afraid of your doubts. And, and that God will stand up to the question, is all of this a lie? You can ask that question. And, and yet, for things that are a lie, right, they won't stand up to that. And the concept is presented in Scripture is about the refiner's fire. And saying, remember the fire, even though it, it burns, but it also purifies. Right? And, and if we literally ask the question, and God will stand up to it because God is real. God is truth. And, and, and as we explore that and, and look to that, we realize right, what, what our world kind of feeds us. And all of the lies and deceptions that are around and, and about, you know, what really matters in life and about, you know, all that, which leads kind of to the, the culminating issue here that is addressed of, of even of us knowing that God is sufficient and how it plays out in our lives. And ultimately it comes down to this last thing that I think overshadows this entire passage in this question. And that is that we need to be aware of what you worship. Be aware of what you worship. Because the reality is, we, are all, we all worship something. Because we were created to worship. And, and so it comes down to what, it is, what are you worshiping? Because everyone worships something. And when you think about worship, you can, it can be loosely defined as what you give worth to in your life. Right? What, what do you focus your, your mind on, your life on? What, what is 
What is, are your decisions centered around? Again, what do you make sacrifices for? What do you spend your money and your time on? What, what is the top priority for you in your life? If you look at those things, that, that, that test it will show you what you truly worship. The question is, does God come first? Because God is what we're supposed to worship. Again, as we read this passage, right, it's all about idols and about how worthless they are, and there's just a block of wood, and why do you pray to it? It can't actually help you. It's, it's all a lie. Right? And the reality is that the real God can do all of those things. He does hear your prayers. He can help you. He can provide for you. He is the rock to build your life on. And the ultimate question comes down to, are you worshiping him or are you worshiping something else? Are you putting anything in front of God? Because the reality is that our culture and world today presents all kinds of things for us to worship. We can look at it and just look at our world and think about, again, what do people spend their, their time and their money and their emotions on? And there are lots of things in our culture that we worship. I kind of wrote down a few. Professional sports, celebrities, celebrity culture, right? I mean, they literally made a show called American Idol, and yet we didn't question it. If you think about, again, youth sports, and I think about, again, my, my kids are in sports, and I think you watch just the youth sports culture, right? And and the sacrifices and the money and the emotions and, and the time and just everything that is put into 11-year-olds playing baseball. At youth sports, vehicles. I think about how much money and resources are put into vehicles in our American culture. Right? People are going into debt. You know, the average car payment in America today is almost $600 a month. I, I mean, okay, what, are, what are we worshiping? Right, because we're wrapping so much of our identity and our status symbols into what we drive from our house to our job. Or does it look good in the parking lot? We invest so much into a depreciating asset. But that, that financial talk is a totally different sermon, but... Religion and church. At the reality, we can actually we can even worship church. Right? And Christian culture can be something that we worship instead of the one true God. I mean, the reality is, is we can worship anything. Now, again, these aren't bad things to be involved with, but if they come before God, if they take the place of God in your life, then they are an idol. And I can tell by the tone in the room that we're maybe hitting a little close to home. Right, but th- that's exactly what Isaiah is teaching them, and that's what we need to see ourselves. What am I really worshiping? Right, is God actually first in my life? Again, these are not bad things to be involved with. I'm not saying you can't have a nice car. That's not what I'm saying. 
right? Or that your kids can't play sports, right? But, but are they taking the place of God in our life and, and in our priorities? If we put them in front of him, then we are, are treading on dangerous ground. I, I, the, a really great test for what you worship in your life is to think about and evaluate in your life. What do I spend my time on? What do I spend my money on? And what do I spend my emotions on? My time, money, and emotions. Right, what, what, what is the first priority in those categories in my life? Right, and that will show you what you are actually worshiping. As, as we see, again, it, this kind of all culminates here into, into verse 11, right? It's all who worship idols will be disgraced along with these craftsmen, mere humans who claim they can make a god. They may all stand together, but they will stand in terror and shame. Again, do you catch the concept that Isaiah is teaching us here? Right? I, in fact, I, I encourage you to under line the phrase, they may all stand together, but they will stand in terror and shame. See, the concept he's getting us to realize here is just because it's popular doesn't mean that it's right. Right? Just because everyone else is doing it is not a valid way to determine how you're going to live your life. I, the, the majority might be worshiping the wrong thing. Yes, they might all stand together, but they will stand in terror and shame. Are you going a million miles an hour in the wrong direction? I hope not. Just because it's popular doesn't mean it's right. And our world, our culture worships a lot of things. And unfortunately, God's barely on the list. So as we, again, look at this, this idea, again, are we saying in our lives that God is sufficient? I mean, not, not just saying it, but I mean, are we living that out, that God is sufficient, that he is worthy of my worship, that he is number one, right? That Jesus Christ is the destination of my journey. Hey, are, are we living that out, and, and yet we, we are faced again with this, this ultimate overlying question, and one that, I th- that Isaiah speaks to you here in, in chapter 45, you know, we're going to read this morning, chapter 45, verses 14 through 25. Isaiah 45, picking up at verse 14. It says, this is what the Lord says. You will rule the Egyptians, the Ethiopians, and the Sabaeans. They will come to you with all their merchandise, and it will be yours. They will follow you as prisoners in chains, and they will fall, fall to their knees in front of you and say, God is with you, and he is the only God. There is no other. Truly, O God of Israel, our Savior, you work in mysterious ways. All craftsmen who make idols will be humiliated. They will all be disgraced together. But the Lord will save the people of Israel with eternal salvation. 
Throughout everlasting ages, they will never again be humiliated and disgraced. For the Lord is God, and he created the heavens and the earth and put everything in place. He made the world to be lived in, not to be a place of empty chaos. I am the Lord, he says, and there is no other. I publicly proclaim bold promises. I do not whisper obscurities in some dark corner. I would not have told the people of Israel to seek me if I could not be found. I, the Lord, speak only what is true and declare only what is right. Gather together and come, you fugitives of surrounding nations. What fools they are who carry around their wooden idols and pray to the gods that cannot save. Consult together, argue your case. Get together and decide what to say. Who made these things known so long ago? What idol ever told you they would happen? Was it not I, the Lord? For there is no other God but me, a righteous God and Savior. There is none but me. Let all the world look to me for salvation, for I am God, there is no other. I have sworn by my own name, I have spoken the truth, and I will never go back on my word. Every knee will bend to me, and every tongue will confess their allegiance to me. The people will declare, the Lord is the source of all my righteousness and strength, and all who were angry with him will come to him and be ashamed. In the Lord, all the generations of Israel will be justified, and in him they will boast. As we see this, this passage, right, and, and like I said, this, this passage I feel like is, is a summary as we look at these three steps, and if these are really true in our life, right, then we get to this overlying question of, is the journey worth it? Because these are not easy steps, are they? I mean, making room for God in your life, right? Uh, knowing that he's sufficient. I mean, again, all, all of these steps that we, we are told and outlined to do here, these, these are against the grain of the way the world is going. Is it worth it? Is it worth it? And yet here, Isaiah gives them and us several reasons why it's worth it and why we need to keep going. And why we need to keep fighting to take new ground in our journey and in our world. The first reason we keep going is because God works in mysterious ways. We keep going because God works in mysterious ways. Right? Meaning we've already, already seen, right, that, that God's ways are bigger than our ways. I mean, we saw that verse here a couple weeks ago in Isaiah. Right? That, that God works in ways that we can't understand. That we we don't that doesn't make sense to us. Again, even as we read these words here in chapter forty-five, and, and think about how can humiliation and disgrace ever make me feel encouraged? Yet that is how these Gentile nations, as as well as Israel, have ended up at the place of acknowledging that God is God, right through through exile and through judgment and and through humiliation and disgrace. And we see here in verse 15, it says, Truly, O God of Israel, our Savior, you work in mysterious ways. And God absolutely still does that today. In fact, I mean, Jesus taught the same concept, right? Of That he'll turn our life upside down. That, that things with God, a life with God does not make earthly sense. How can being disciplined by God end up with me feeling more loved and cared for than ever before? 
How can admitting that I am trapped in my sin actually set me free? How can being generous and giving money away for God actually make me more rich? How can loving other people make me feel better about myself? How can taking up my cross or dying to myself every day actually make me more alive? And yet, these are all exactly the concepts Jesus teaches. None of it makes sense. But it is exactly the way God works. Because God works in mysterious ways. So I keep going because I know that God is bigger than common sense. The next reason I keep going is because I know that God can be found. I I keep going because God can be found. Again, this is describing a real relationship with an incredibly powerful God. As I said before, right, Christianity is not a religion. And if you don't like organized religion, I'll tell you I don't either. But I do love God. And I do have a relationship with God. Right? And, and he loves me. And I keep going because God can be found. As we see, as described here, right, he, he says that he made the world to be lived in. He says, I, I publicly proclaim bold promises. Again, God is with us. He is active in our lives. He is not quiet. If you see in, in verse 19, he says, I would not have told the people of Israel to seek me if I could not be found. God absolutely can be found. How can I have a relationship with a God I cannot see? Again, he works in mysterious ways. But he can be found. And with that motivation, keeps me going. And, and I also keep going because God is the only way to be saved. I keep going because he's the only way to be saved. Again, J- Jesus made the, the bold claim in John 14, 6. He says, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And again, this is another place, right, that Isaiah looks forward and, and, and predicts the coming Messiah. That he is mighty to save, that, that God saves us. And, and again, we know through Ephesians 2, 8, 9, right, that it is by grace you are saved through faith, not of works. You cannot do it yourself. Right, God, a relationship with God is the only way you can be saved. You see it, verses 22 and 23, it says, Let all the world look to me for salvation, for I am God, there is no other. I sworn by my own name, I have spoken the truth, and I will never go back on my word. Every knee will bend, and every tongue will declare allegiance to me. And I know that that, again, seems like opposite of what we see in our world today, but yet that is an absolute true prediction. Because scripture is also clear that Jesus not only came the first time, right, but he's also coming again. And when he comes again, those words will be true. 
every knee will bend, every tongue will declare. And at that point, there will be no doubt. God is the only way to be saved. If you're trying to find salvation in any other way than belief and faith, acceptance of Jesus Christ, your Savior, the word is clear. You will fall short. Have you received Jesus Christ as your Savior? Have you confessed with your mouth and accepted him in your life? Start a relationship with him. Have you joined the journey of faith? I hope you have, and if you haven't, I hope you will today. And as, as you think about all this, again, it, it still all culminates to why I keep going. And, and why we keep going is because of a relationship with God changes everything. Not membership in a church, right? not, not living religion, not following the way of the world, but a relationship with God. It changes everything everything. This is exactly what we're told here in Isaiah 45, verse 24. It says that the people will declare, the Lord is the source of all my righteousness and strength. And all who were angry with him will come to him and be ashamed. Again, I, I encourage you to underline, circle, you know, the phrase, the Lord source. Are you going to say, all who were angry with him will come to be ashamed? Again, that's the point is coming. They'll say that, well, Again, it, when they realize the truth, they're ashamed that they didn't see it earlier. Right? That when you give your life to God and he does change everything and, and, and you start to live life the way that, that it was meant to be lived and you start to experience that true relationship with him, it, that, again, that's what's describing here about, about being ashamed, right? That, man, why didn't I not see this before? Right? Why did I hold back in my faith for so long, right? Why, why did I get, get stuck, you know, following the smoke and mirrors of the world, and, and, and that's where the shame comes. And again, I, I don't know where you're at with God today, but if you're angry with him, I hope that you will rekindle that relationship today. Again, as we've been going through the series these last couple of weeks, we've had this cross available for you, and, and you can see, again, the challenge has been that whatever's in between you and God to, to either... Write it down and put it on the cross and they leave it on the cross because those papers are still there. Right, symbolizing, I hope, that whatever you put there, that you, you left it there, that you haven't pulled it back, right, and, and put that burden back on your own shoulders and give that burden to God. Hey, but also what's up there is if you've done that and if you're walking with God, if he has changed everything for you, then you declare your praise. Right, and you write praises down there and you put those on the cross, right, and, and, and say, yes, I declare my praise. And again, if you haven't done that, there's papers up here, you can do that today. If you, if you want to. But my hope is that, is that you keep going in your journey because it is worth it. It's not easy, but it's worth it. And, and as, we, as we do that, I, I hope that, again, we can find hope and comfort in our final thought this morning, and it comes from Isaiah 58, verses 8 and 9, where it says, Then your salvation will come like the dawn, and your wounds will quickly heal. Your godliness will lead you forward. And the glory of the Lord will protect you from behind. And then when you call, the Lord will answer. Have you called upon the Lord today? Have you asked him for your salvation? 
Have you brought your questions, your doubts, or whatever's holding you back to, to him? And again, if you haven't ever received Jesus as your Savior, then I hope you will do that today. If, if something's holding you back, then, then give it up to him, right? And make these words true in your life. And again, whether you write it on the cross or you just come forward to pray, pray in your seat, I hope you'll do that today. I hope these words will be true in your life today. Lord God, we thank you that we can give all to you. And God, that you are a God who's not afraid of, of our questions or of our doubts, but God, that you are truth. God, you are the way. Lord, you bring life. God, that, that things with you don't make sense, but yet they are absolutely true. Because you are God and you are worthy of our praise. You're worthy of our worship. And Lord, I pray that as we go this week, God, that we will go as people that are surrendered to you. God, that are living out our faith every day. God, that, that are showing this world what it's like to not be in a religion, God, to be, but to be in a true relationship with our creator. God, we pray, Lord, that our salvation would shine like the dawn. God, that this world would see who you are through our lives as we shine your light in this dark world. Lord, we thank you for saving us. We thank you for changing us. Lord, we thank you for making the journey worth it. Guide us as we go, as we represent you this week in all that we do, and how we live our lives and the decisions we make and how we interact with people. Lord, may you be glorified. Guide us as we go. In Jesus' name.